Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue with our study of the second book of Samuel, Shmuel Bet. We have just read an extremely painful, difficult chapter to read, the chapter of the <coughs> sin of David with regard to his um, adultery with, Bathse- with Bathsheba, and then the resulting cover-up, which led to um, him causing the death of her husband <coughs> and taking her in as a wife. Uh, listen to the last two episodes uh, just to, um, if you haven't yet, in order to appreciate the power and the gravity of what, what just happened. Our hero has now done anything, anything but heroic, has, has, a, has done something that is pretty much uh, uh, as, as far from being a hero as, as one can imagine. Uh, there's a lot to be said, <laughs> and if one reads through the um, the uh, commentaries uh, over the centuries, much has been written, and there's a lot to to uh, you know. There's many approaches to this, many ways to try to understand it, to wrap our heads around it, and uh, far be it uh, for me to summarize all of that in one podcast. However, I do want to mention a paper that I read uh, that someone brought to my attention that was actually published of all places in the um in in the uh in it was in the early 1990s i'll tell you in a second it was in 1993 in the journal of business ethics volume 12 page 265 to 273 and the title of the article was the Bathsheba, but the Bathsheba, the Bathsheba syndrome the ethical failure of successful leaders and they're talking about um, exactly that subject, of course, the ethical failure of successful leaders. When you have someone who climbed his way or her way to the top, they're in a position now and uh, where they, they have, they've achieved the pinnacle of leadership. Everyone looks up to them, admires them, etc., and then they make the biggest and worst of errors, moral, ethical, or both, or worse, or criminal. Um, and David certainly made the error uh, that an error that fits into all of those categories. So I want to um, point out that the, they in this article they point out several uh, factors that that one needs to um, recognize when it comes to why leaders fail. So and they they they. Uh, the authors of this article point out several points, and I, I really feel like they sum up almost all of the discussion of this issue. And the first they say is when, uh, you know, they recount the story of David and Bathsheba. We don't have to do that. We just did that in the last two podcasts. And then they say, David loses strategic focus in success. And in their words, the story of David and Bathsheba begins by noting that David is not where he is supposed to be, doing what he is supposed to be doing. His recent successes in battle have apparently left David complacent. Complacent that his overall strategy did not need revision for the time being. And complacent that his subordinates were capable of executing the current strategy on their own. Instead of leading his troops into battle as was his role as king, he stayed home, leaving the direction of his troops during critical battles to his right-hand man, Yoab. (coughs) David was apparently comfortable that Yoab would be able to handle things. 
In their words, how often today we see executives, and this is a business journal, so they're referring to executives, but you can apply this to any leader, be they a religious leader, a um, uh, community leader, a political leader, regardless. They lead their organizations to the top of the competitive heap, displaying exceptional courage, energy, and leadership, only then to put their organizations on autopilot, kickback, and indulge themselves for all the sacrifices they have made along the way. Their setup for ethical failure begins not by being, I'm sorry, begins by not being where they are supposed to be. In other words, you never get to the top. You never get to the end. You never get to a point where, okay, now I can put my feet up and let everything go on autopilot. Those are my own words. Back to their words. Not only does this expose the leader to potential conflict, but by not being with the troops through a time of crisis and competition, it opens the door to questionable ethical questionable ethical behavior by the subordinates. David's failure of leadership is certainly not that he delegated, though the accounts indicate uh, that it was a king's duty to be with his troops in battle. Rather, David delegated and then ignored what was happening. He did not give supervision to Yoav. In other words, you could delegate, that's fine, but you still have to stay on top of things. In addition, David seemed to be delegating not out of a sense of necessity, but out of a sense of self-indulgence. And this is what we learned from the story. That is, David was delegating not because he needed to free time for other duties, but because he wanted more time for leisure. The accounts indicate, as we pointed out when we read this together, that David was just rising from bed as evening came. David may have felt he needed or deserved a break after his earlier conquests. It is interesting that he did not feel his troops also needed or deserved to share in this break. That's the first one. In other words, his strategic, he lost his strategic focus and success. He was so successful, he felt that now I can rest. Now I deserve a break. In life, especially one who's tasked to be a leader of others, never gets to the point where, one, where it's time to rest. This is a point reiterated throughout the Torah, but here is one of its most glaring examples. So that's number one. The second issue, David's success leads to privileged access. And this is crucial in why leaders at the pinnacle of their success often make the terrible, terrible error. They have privileged access, access that to, to access to sin, access to take advantage of others that others don't have. And now in their words of the writers of the article, as it was mentioned, David's leisure allowed him the opportunity literally, to look around. He was not focused on organizational decision-making. Instead, his lack of preoccupation allowed him to see things he otherwise wouldn't have noticed. (coughs) Second, his privileged position high atop the roof of the palace allowed him to see things that were sheltered to those at lower levels. It would have been clear to someone at a lower level that violation of Bathsheba's privacy was wrong, for they would have somehow had to circumvent the wall that separated her bath from public view. It was easy, however, for David to forget (coughs) that it was not his right to view this beautiful woman at Bath. His privileged vantage point was designed to give him a perspective of view that would help him lead his people, not a view that would feed his self-indulgence. By this point, David's lack of involvement in the leadership combined with his privileged position allowed him to shift his focus to the satisfaction of personal wants. Many of the scandals we have witnessed in recent years have evolved from privileged access to information, people, and object, and from leaders' apparent inability to understand (coughs) that their privileged position is supposed to give them a perspective from which they can more effectively lead, not from which they can more effectively satisfy personal wants. 
<coughs> so that's the second issue. <clears throat> the privileged access and then abusing that privileged access for the wrong purpose. So the first was a loss of focus, a loss of a, a, a feeling that, okay, I can rest now. I just don't need to focus on leadership anymore. And the second is having privileged access and taking advantage of it. A third issue, and back to the article, this is, uh, I'm reading from the article. David's success leads to control of resources and inflated belief in personal ability to control outcomes. The story of David and Bathsheba unfolds through a degenerative progression of indulgence and cover-up. As those of you who just studied with me uh, heard very clearly, as the story develops, David sends servants to investigate who this beautiful woman was that he saw from his roof. When he found that she was not only married, but married to one of his officers, he knew it would be a grave offense to take her to his bed. Yet her husband was off in battle, and the servants, knowing the consequences, can certainly be counted on for silence. David sends for Bathsheba, sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. In the hopes of covering this violation, David brings Bathsheba's husband in from the battlefield under the false pretense of finding out the state of battle. This is uh, aside, I want to uh, comment. It's finding out the state of battle, which he should have known in the first place, because he should have been there. After months in the field, he hopes Uriah will sleep with his wife, but noble Uriah decides it would be inappropriate while his comrades are still in battle. David then gets Uriah drunk in the hope that he will sleep with his wife, but he still doesn't. Finally, David gives Uriah a message to carry back to Joab, the commander of the battle. The message is Uriah's death sentence and sent, tells Joab to send Uriah to the front of the fiercest battle and then withdraw, leaving Uriah and other innocents to die. After Uriah's death, David sent word to Joab not to let what had just happened seem evil in his sight. Smug in his cover-up, David then took Bathsheba into his house as his wife. It was the prophet Nathan, those of us that were stick with me with this podcast, we'll study this in the next chapter, an outsider to the events who finally exposed David. David, in short, closed to do something he knew was clearly wrong in the firm belief that through his personal power and control over resources, he could cover it up. David's inflated self-confident belief in his own personal ability to manipulate the outcome of the story is probably representative of the attitude of many of today's professionally trained managers of business. Trained in attitude and technique to get things done and make things happen, today's business school graduates, and you could apply this to things other than business school, of course, often possess a dangerously inflated self-confidence, reinforced by success given increasing control of resources and subjected to decreasing levels of supervision. These managers, too, often stumble as they move into leadership roles. So the third issue, then, is David had control. He, he felt he had control of the outcome. He felt he could, with his power as king, he could cover it up. He can get away with it. So again, sitting back and losing focus on leadership. Number two, having access, privileged access that others don't have and then taking advantage of it. And then having the inflated sense of ability the inflated sense that one can control the outcome and get away with it because one has the access to power and resources all lead to making this terrible, terrible mistake, this terrible sin that David had. Um, had, uh, had. So th these, these, um, these four things, the loss of strategic focus, privileged access, control of resource, and inflated belief in one's ability to manipulate outcomes is at the core of what, may, what, 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 brings, what often brings leaders 
to their ultimate downfall. So someone who was once great, maybe you know, and once achieved so much, could then misstep and make such a terrible grave error. The uh, the what's going to happen next in the rest of the story? What's going to happen when David gets exposed? How this is going to affect the rest of his monarchy? the rest and, and even future generations is something we will study together. I thought that this article really um, hit on all of the different points that are raised by the commentaries as they discuss this chapter and something for all of us to consider because whether we're leaders of others, whether we lead large groups or congregations or companies or, or, or political organizations or whatever it is that we may lead, community groups, or whether we lead our own families or whether we only lead ourselves, we all are at risk of making these mistakes, of thinking, okay, I got here, now I could sit back and relax and I don't have to work anymore, of thinking that, oh, don't worry what I do, I can control the outcome, of thinking that, oh, I have access to this information and that I, that I should, it's privileged information, whether it's about others, whether it's, whether it's financial information. So because I have it, you know, without taking, realizing it and taking responsibility for it and saying I have this access in order that I could do good with it, not so that I can take advantage of it for my own needs, and, and the issue of, of, of feeling like we can control the outcome when ultimately we can't. No matter how powerful we are, no one is that powerful that they can control the outcome. So this is the lesson that we must learn from this, this chapter. Uh, now we will see, as David uh, has to own up to this sin, and how he has to live with it the rest of his life, and how this affects the rest of his monarchy and the rest of his, the, his time in leadership. Thank you so much for studying this together with me. <coughs> um, I'm looking forward to studying chapter 12 and all the rest of the book of, of Samuel together.